Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. <laughs> Who are you? Oh, I'm this Luke McGrew. <laughs> <laughs> and we are track walking. Almost nailed it. Um, I see his hand come up. It's like the it's like that's the hand that comes up when you're in the car too. Yeah. Oh. Like what the yeah. what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. The. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. The I actually I want to do the Italian sometime next year, um, <laughs> if nothing else, just to uh, try to make somebody else laugh. I hope I'm next to Zach Lavoy. I was say you have to do it to Zach Lavoy. Yeah. That's that's what needs to happen. Is this? Uh, I'll, I'll start to say a different word a minute ago. I didn't know how family friendly this was. Oh uh, no, we've got that explicit rating. You're you're fine. I'm okay. I'm allowed to say all the Dennis. Was it the Dennis Leary comedy thing? Or no, that was uh, Cars. Or uh, <laughs> never mind. Yep. I got. I I like George Carlin. Carlin, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. I like Leary too. The uh, "I'm an asshole" song is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I could I could do that on Carrie Grid Life Karaoke sometime. You remember the Carlin with all the words you can't say? That yes. Say? Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yep. Well, this is a free podcast, and we have an explicit rating on it, so, you know. Okay. You you do well, you. They fall out every once in a while. Because Luke's Luke's screen name right now is Luke M. Effer McGrew, um, <laughs> which, if you know Luke, that's about right. <laughs> So Luke is best stereotypically known for having a cigarette in the mouth, long flowing hair, a mean bean monster, a black GLTC car of some sort, and uh, probably laying on the ground in paddock. That sounds like his podcast is over. Yeah, I mean, that's it. <laughs> that's pretty much no, there's no no depth to it. That is com- that is Luke. Scott's just very good at this. Um, yeah, that's that, that's probably how I seem, but that's probably about how I am. That's <laughs> that's a good that's a good part. Like, doesn't matter what what you think. It's how how you are. Um, yeah. So, Luke, you and I've. I mean, we've been racing together for. A little while now. Um, You also won the bestest driver of the year uh, a couple years ago for probably the hardest fought effort just to be in grid. Uh, Yeah, that win, maybe. I feel sorry for you, win. (laughs) (laughs) It it did seem like a, here's something for the effort. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's because you sold your Viper ACR time attack car to fund your GLTC Miata. Uh, yeah, that's not quite correct. <laughs> I actually had it at the same time for a while, but okay. It's the story sounds great it when you phrase it way Scott's better. way, though. <laughs> <laughs> so the the story is, is I was building the Miata, and I have a two post or four post lift in my garage, and. uh it's about a, well, it's kind of like a three car garage or maybe three and a half or whatever. Um, but that Viper was really loud. And, um, so I'd work late in the evenings on the car and I had to literally roll the Viper out in the garage driveway and roll it back in, not to make my neighbors mad. And, uh, so after a while, I got tired of doing that. And me and my wife, 
took the car, you know, I kind of took all the stickers off of it and uh, we drove it to Starbucks like one, one day. And I was like, you know what? This thing's horrible as a street car. <laughs> and I put it up for sale and it sold the next morning. Yeah. I, rem- I remember it being quite quick. Yeah. I missed the mark. I was like, if I would have waited six months that, I mean, I don't know if you look at the price of those right now, you'd, you'd fall on the floor. Yeah. I didn't do bad, but I like it, it went, the market went nuts. So I remember during the ugh, all right, old guy podcast, I remember during the recession, uh, 2008, when everything just dropped out, all of a sudden second gen Vipers were really quite affordable. Mm-hmm. I, I could get a second gen Viper with, I wouldn't say low miles, but certainly not over 60 for 30 like grand. 35, 28, like right yeah. in that range. Yes, for 35 even. Like yeah. a, so I, I bought my Gen 3, which was my first one I had. It was a 20, 2008 model, and I got it in 2009 or 10. Okay. And I think it was 60. I mean, it was like a newer car. It had like 11,000 miles on it. Yeah. For like sixty eight, maybe. Um, so yeah, like like every time I look at those prices, I cringe. <laughs> but but the ACR is the big one. I mean, it like it, it's a two hundred some thousand dollar car, easy now. And I, you know, I'm, I missed about at least eighty thousand. It's it's nutty, man. Yeah. I mean, and you had to know, like, as soon as they stopped making them, like, it was all of a sudden going to be a collector's car. No, well, yeah. So the weird thing was, I mean, mine was a mine was a sixteen model, and they quit making them in seventeen. Yep. And they set on car lots, brand new, up until like probably twenty twenty. I mean, you could buy one off a deal, like off a lot for nobody wanted them. I, re- right. I remember seeing that that it was like one of those zombie cars that every like Dodge would sell like two a year. Yeah, <laughs> like the next four years. Yeah, it was like a three-year-old car, and and that that happened up a little bit before COVID and, and everything, and and I don't know what happened, but like I said, I I, I kind of you know I'm not an investor, obviously, and I missed the mark, <laughs> but uh, I thought you know the market would go to shit, and it it, it kind of on cars, some cars that went the other way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure those were going to be worth money because you know not everything is. There's certainly a bunch of cars that are just not. They kind of get to be orphaned and they're not loved. And so they sort of fade off into the distance. And, yeah. you know, very few people look at at a Chrysler product during the run of when they were building the Viper. And they think, ooh, Chrysler, that's my jam. <laughs> like nobody has that in their head. And so the fact that the Vipers really took off was a little bit surprising to me. Because that's like literally the only thing that Chrysler built during that time that anybody gives a damn about. Yeah, I, th- I think it kind of it's, it's probably similar to like the old Superbirds or the the Ford twenty six Cudas, and yeah. like nobody then if you go back and like kind of research those, I mean they made like two thousand Superbirds or so, somewhere around that. Nobody really wanted them, and and I think you know if you have a Ford twenty six Superbird right now, they're like a million dollars, <laughs> and and I, I you know the the, the cool thing about a all the Vipers, even going back to like the like, I had a Gen three, had a Gen four TA. I'm sorry, I had a Gen four, I had a Gen five TA, and then I had the ACR, and kind of not quite as good as like GT GT Porsche World, but like you can buy a Viper, and 
I think it's like any, like they just don't lose value. Like a Corvette will lose value. A Viper you can buy. And if, if you can afford that upfront payment or whatever for four or five years, <laughs> once that card's paid for, it's still worth what you paid for. And then you can like maybe up to another one. And that's kind of how, what I did. It's kind of um, how it seems. Yeah. But, but if I would have bought like a, you know, a, I, I've had a bunch of cars, but if I would have bought something that depreciated, that would be a lot harder to do, you know? Well, you did have a Subaru. Yes. And you sold that around the same time, didn't you? Uh, I had a dealership purchase that from me. Oh, really? But okay. no, that was probably a good six months or a year before. Okay. Yeah, that was a fully built, like that That was a, um, a, a was it IAG block and oh, it wow. blew up at the track. <laughs> so it was like, I put a bunch of money in it and got tired of it and sold it. But I've, I've had like, you know, I had the Z28 Camaro or, you know, that Z28 they made for two years. I had mm-hmm. a ZL1 right before the Subaru. Um, I've had an M3, E46, E92, couple C63s. I've had a bunch of cool cars. Um, and yeah, I just, like I said, I don't get attached to them. I, anything I can't take to the racetrack and beat the snot out of, I really don't care to drive it on the street. I like driving my truck. True. So why, like, I guess when you, you came on my radar, you were driving, um, was it still track mod? Yeah. Your Viper track mod and your Viper. And it was you and Swenson kind of going at it. Yep. Why a Viper? Because like, as we were talking about Vipers and whatnot, and like their collector status and whatnot, like Vipers to me has always been the more exclusive, slightly uh, kind of like a car that wants to kill you different than a Corvette. Yeah. Like it's the Corvette alternative that wants to kind of kill you on track. Right. So, so why? Why did I like them? Yeah. So that, that just goes back to like, so I, I remember I mean, again, kind of the age thing. So the the Viper came out in 93 and that was, I was probably in ninth grade, you know, and, 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 and I remember plain as day, um, seeing, I remember seeing the first gen just in high school and mm-hmm. thinking it was like an awesome car. Yeah. And, but what really caught me was like the 96 blue and white GTS, like that car was like, man, one of these days, if I can afford it, yeah. that's what the, I'll have the, the pace car. And, Yes. It's just like, I, I don't know. It's still a great looking car. I'd like to have one right now even. But um, so when I got to the point I could afford stuff like that, I, I, I found a, a, a G, uh, you know, the Gen 4, which is which is kind of way worse than the Gen 5. It, you know, it was the, uh, it was an 09, 08, and it, it still had 600 horsepower. Yeah. And it's just, I, I just like, things that's different sometimes i'm i, I like corvettes or I, you know but but i like vipers better i think they're more they're more rare they're 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 kind of cool they're just kind of cool I, I don't know yeah you know i'm not like a i'm not a collector though that's <laughs> you know I, I i had like my first track car that i ever took on a on a road course was a gen one ctsv and nice. um so and I like that car actually. As a matter of fact, my my business partner's niece still owns it. I sold it to him, and he sold it to her. And then I got a Gen Two DTSV, and I hated it, even though it was more powerful. Um, and then I had a, I think I had an NA Miata at the time, 
and then I got um I got that Viper and I just started tracking it. And like it's almost like I had to learn to drive again because that those would try to kill you. And one thing I, I feel like it made me a better driver, you know, because it is like it's a, one of them cars that it's like it'll do things you tell it to do, and if you tell it to do it wrong, it'll do it wrong. Yep. And and you know the back end's a little heavier in the front end on those. A lot of people know that. Not much. It's like a percent or two. So it will. And there's so much tire back there. Like back when that car came out, like a, it was still 345 on the back, but it was like a Pilot Sport, you know, right. or, 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 all the time. PS1 maybe, or PS2, and they were, I mean, they were garbage for 600 horsepower. But you know, <laughs> yeah. alert to, I took that thing to track a lot, mid Ohio and uh, VIR, and just kind of worked my way back because no traction control. It did have ABS, yep. but you're kind of working yourself back through the what you probably learned to do wrong. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I remember even Dodge adding ABS to that was a big stink in the Viper community. <laughs> yeah. That they, was back in like 2000, I believe, or 99 when they did that. Yeah. They, because the Viper, like they were just all in for like, give me all the manual things possible. I don't, yeah. like, I want to, <laughs> I want to die like a real man. <laughs> Yeah, the first ones just had like I don't think they had windows, right? Like they had plastic windows or whatever. Yeah, and it had it had the little knob to adjust the uh, the foot pedal, the foot pedals. If the battery, yeah, they, they always kept that actually. Like even the Gen yes. Five, the steering wheel didn't adjust in and out; it just up and down. But the foot pedals you could bring closer to you. Yep. And I <laughs> I remember on the first gens, if you uh, if the battery went dead, you were not getting in the car. Because it was in the trunk. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. You didn't have a key, actually. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, you've you've also, like, you've done spec Miata racing. Is that right? No. no um, I have not. So, okay. Yeah. I, I've had three. Well, I've actually had four Miatas. I've had an right. NA, ND. Uh, I think about I had three. And NC. Um, when... My my first, both of my NA and my NB, I built them both like spec Miata spec. Okay. Except that was age. And and I was in, and I actually ran it in time attack, like an ST5 or whatever, or not, or time trial, whatever, NASA. Sure. And, uh, but I never, like, I had like Eric Meadows, he didn't come until later, but like we had some other buddies that had Miatas and we kind of built them all as spec Miatas. We just never went so far as put a cage in them and i could never really get anybody to go that far with me because i went i just didn't want to go race by myself and that's why it kind of stopped at that point but anyway gotcha but i have been in like miatas quite a bit because we'd take them to the track like all five of us so we had the same builds and just hpds but like we'd have fun with them you know that's uh so i've always you know i'll autocross those as well some so that that was just like a great little they were still one of my favorite cars to drive yeah I think that kind of carries through into whatever car you decide to build and drive. Like you kind of create this little, uh, this little posse of guys who go to the track at the same time and kind of like hang out. Yeah. We, ha- well, there's it, oddly enough, cause there's not, you know, I mean, me and Eric are from West Virginia and Thomas Moss, yep. but, uh, we, we, uh, those, there's a good bit of us around here. It used to be like 10 or 15 of us that would go pretty often, just different track events. Um, that live pretty close to me here, just a bunch of good buddies. And we still go like once a year, even today, but we kind of all got on the different things, you know, 
where me and Eric went to racing and some of the other guys don't like never got into racing. So they're still just do track days or whatever. Yeah. And Thomas is too far into his, uh, NB to, uh, yeah. Follow you guys <laughs> into uh Corvette land. Thankfully. Yeah. I, you know, you, I think you more the stories out there. I, I actually bought, I bought a, um, K engine before I bought my GLTC first car. <laughs> and my, my, my intention was to build an NB and um, I called Eric. I found one in Pittsburgh. I was going to go look at. Mm-hmm. And that same morning I found another black NC in North Carolina and I ended up going to North Carolina and I ended up selling that engine and a guy from Philadelphia came and got it. And he, we literally loaded it into his front seat <laughs> of his, like, I forget what car he had. It was like a little Chevy something maybe, but he like, we, we literally loaded it in the front seat. It was the funniest thing. I have pictures of it somewhere. I mean, I, I guess it's not that heavy, so it's it's not. No, it's light, not. Though. We had to use my ho- my engine hoist, but like we had to jack his car up to get the legs of my engine hoist under his car. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty classic. I was like, but he was doing the same thing. He was building a, um an in you know in Sear or I'm sorry, NV case swap Miata. Yeah, like 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 they did back in the day. They used to be yeah. a hot ticket, Luke. I know. Well, the NC, like, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, there's so much different than an NA or MB. Yep. And I feel like, um, other than Mazda, like nobody really had much figured out on those cars or like pioneered them that heavily. And that was part of the probably downfall of that car. The engine was the biggest problem, but right. it's just, you know, I think if you're going to buy a race car, it's probably easier to build one. A, a something that somebody's already racing or like a, a group, a lot, a large group of people's racing. It's right. just easier when you're like a one man show like me and I'm not a team of guys building and fixing stuff. It's, it's me. Same. So that's, that's part of the reason why I went with a second gen Miata is because there are so many of them. Yeah. Um, like, of course there's always the internal desire that like, I want something different but like the amount of time and money it takes to do something different well, I just yep. knew ahead of time, like I wasn't going to have that time or that money. And it's like, there's already so many of these out here. Like they're, I don't want to say they're figured out, but like there's a well-worn path to like kind of getting in there pretty, pretty easily. But yeah, spring rates are kind of figured out. The, the sway bars are fi- I mean, like, they're right. just figured out and there's just simple cars right um yeah i still think it's a you know i, I still i mean i, I think you know like anybody that ever asked me what track car is the best track car it it is this is not because i have one now but it's always been like a miata in a and b or a c5 corvette is like you know they're they're they've gotten a little bit more there for a while but for a long time 18 grand right you know you could buy you know, six and they're 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 reliable and they're the, the power to weight's pr- really good, you know, just like balanced, not overly powerful. Yep. And they're easy to work on. They're like a big Miata. Yep. So I think for a long time, that's always been my, like, I've never, my business partners own, like, I don't know, he has one right now, but he's owned a, a bunch of Corvettes and he had like maybe three C5s and I've driven them before and I always liked them. I just never was a Corvette guy. Still not, even though I have one. <laughs> you should put a, you should- <laughs> but, you should put a big uh, Viper Snakehead logo on the hood or something. Yeah, I would have loved to like did a uh, a GTS Viper or something, oh. man. Like the 
So they the dodge is really bad. This is one reason Gary Wimble had an ACR as well. Like we've tracked together for a long time. Okay. And one of the concerns we even talked about, um, Dodge is kind of known to matter of fact, like right, I, I'm still in all the Viper groups and all that stuff, but like differentials, um, body parts, like like they don't you ain't getting them. Like like somebody on those old Vipers, somebody ended up buying the tooling from Dodge back way back when to like be able to make hoods. And like, if you need a hood, which is a big clamshell hood yep. for a GTS Viper, I mean, you're probably going to shell out 12 grand. If you get, if you, if you want to like really get a laugh, look up a headlight for a GTS Viper. Oh, the they're self- like $5,000. Jesus. So yeah, I was like, I can't race something. Things. No, that makes sense. Ugh. makes my heart hurt. I did see a, uh, a comp coop up for sale in Britain that, I looked at for longer than I should have, but yeah, yeah, those are three base. Those are those are pretty. You know, I know uh, the people that own DIR and pit race race comp coupes, and they have for a long time. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, those are still kind of yeah, as a factory built race car. So, so you've like every race car, every car that you've put on track, you've really like put a lot of like hands on it. Like you get involved with every one of them right? yes like if engine swap complete suspension mate like whatever it is like you're you're in there yeah i'm the only one yeah i'm pretty much do all of it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and i remember that nc that you that you built for um for gltc i mean you were I remember you were talking with the spec MX five guys, um, about suspension tuning and kind of did what they did. But then, you know, all those series are always bound by, you know, spec rules and, you know, you eventually even went down the rabbit hole of, you know, swapping in the 2.5 liter, but then having to go with the, these built ones, which were also made for, some other series or something yeah they're made for the uh you know like the uh chili bowl where they race those mini sprint cars or whatever they're called okay that that's where those engines usually go uh, gotcha. toyota has an engine they use in ford and ford obviously is what we were running yeah um and i think there's another that's a what are those called midget midget cars or something like that it's a pretty big deal sure yeah midgets <laughs> or one, of, the, one of the one of the versions of them but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and so the engine we run was uh, which you know is a Duratec, which is um, the same engine that they basically run. A company called Eslinger out in California, who that was who's pretty well to build those cars, and uh, and, and a lot of people don't know like the modern EcoBoost is pretty much the uh, Duratec, like like um, other than they're probably you know better. They got forged pistol rods and stuff, or forged crank. So sure. so my last engine was a two five. Duratec with a 2.3 EcoBoost crank, okay. which kind of made it 2.4, and and they do different pistons to make everything work. But like that's what that last engine was in the car. Gotcha. And those were expensive. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that was the bad thing. You went through four of them. Uh, I'd have to sit down and count. So I put eight engines in that car. Good lord! So I put in the car, but like right, that's not how many I probably purchased. Um, that that's kind of a uh different story like we had one that failed right away that i had to send back and yep and go 
And one weekend, I swapped a two-liter back in so I could go race with NASA. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I got I got that down pretty quick to swap. And I I bought Eric's old two-liter out of his gray car, and okay. I just put it in the car and went and raced it because um, I don't think I had an engine at the time. I don't know why why I did that, but it was fun. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, and but those engines they were kind of they didn't even the two four like the last one I had wasn't the, like it was pretty peaky engine and it and it didn't. I think with the rule set going into last year, wasn't wasn't a really good engine to have. Um, the cars weren't really light enough to detune them flat down to like one eighty or whatever. And Jeff Preston did a, uh, a turbo kit, which was yep. seems to be working okay. But like I started doing the math of like how many parts I had and what I thought the car might sell for, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if, and if I was going to go with like a different engine again and a turbo like those turbo kits are like six, seven grand. Like it, 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 it started to make sense just to maybe build another car. Cause I had so many issues with yeah. that one. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I actually sold that car to Justin Lee and then I ended up selling, I had like five or six transmissions differential. I had so many, so many parts and, and, and I had a couple engine blocks and I had an expensive crank. And by the time I sold all that stuff, if I would have been reasonable in my Corvette, I would have like broke even. Um, so that was my, that was the whole thing. It was just, you know, break, uh, I didn't break even, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, that first year was really a try hard year for you. Just like, like I said, just getting to the track and making the damn thing <laughs> try to last a weekend, which I, I don't yeah. want to say more often than not, but like it was kind of 50, 50, if you were going to, if you were going to make it or not. Yeah, I know. I don't know. If there was a a weekend one that I didn't have an issue. That, that car won four races, by the way. Yep. <laughs> Which is, you know, that's like that's hard to do. That's maybe harder to do now or the last year, even than it was back then. But, but yeah, it, it had very good potential and it, it fun car to drive, handles good and all that stuff. But I think, you know, just the reliability side of it wasn't worth it at some point. Sure. Yeah. And so you sold it to justin lee and uh moved on to other things <laughs> heavier and more powerful things yeah <laughs> so how how did you get into this whole hobby in the first place because you've been doing it for a while now yeah um probably so i i, I got into autocrossing first as everybody probably okay. and and i remember i was like i said i had my ctsv and it was a 2004 model, I believe. And this was probably like 2006. And um, I was on, they, they used to have, you know, forums, the great forums that, that don't hardly exist anymore. Had There was a Cadillac forum, and it was like for, for a lot of CTSVs. And I came across this thing, and at some point, they were having like a, what they were calling a V-Day or weekend or whatever. And um, Andy Pilgrim was there. And I, I literally rented a U-Haul truck or U-Haul uh, trailer. Nice. And me and my wife, I didn't know what I was getting into or anything. And I went up there and that's what hooked me, uh, you know, okay. all downhill from there. What uh what track did you run? Summit Point, Maine. Okay. Yep. Fast one. Yep. Uh, Fast one. So where you can use all the power. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fun little track. It's a great Miata track, actually. It's got a big front straight, but the rest of it's very... Uh, very tight. Yeah. 
I don't know if you've been there, but it's a wonderful Miata track. Yeah, we went there, um, I think it was the last year of the Miata. Yeah. Um, or the last year of my Miata, anyway, on the One Lap of America. And, um, yeah, that was, because that was the year the uh, Subaru guys were there. Oh, yeah. Um, and they... And it was hot that day. It's about it's about all I can remember. I didn't do very well. I was yeah. tired, exhausted because it was like right at the end of the week. But like it was, it was fun. And I think you know has just enough elevation and visual nuance that it definitely rewards some some experience there. I think. Yeah, it, it's a fun drive. We, we used to go up there about once a year because I have some buddies that with Miatas that live in D.C. And uh, so, I've, I mean, I've been back. We just we don't race there. Or anybody, you know, I've never raced there or anything. But, like, I, I do enjoy that track. It's just – it's not even that – even though it's in West Virginia, it's a good five hours away. It's way up in the, you know, the panic yeah. near D.C. So. It, it's beautiful, too. Like, it's – we drove in and – I mean, some some tracks, you know, are certainly scenic and whatnot, but this was like a national forest I was driving through, and it's like, hey, if you want to go to this track, take this trail, and if you want to go to this track, take the other trail. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, like that. that's a funny one, because you actually drive out through the country for quite a bit, like yeah. maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. Before you get to the track, and it's out in the middle of nothing. And trees, but lots like, of trees. Like, you know, a lot of people from D.C. have started moving into that area. So like now you'll see like big mansions sitting off in a big ramp, you know, in a big piece of property somewhere. But um, hopefully they don't move in close enough and, and want to complain about the noise. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's it's, it's an, like I don't know. If there's a track I don't like, but but I do. It's an enjoyable track. Yeah. What was it? So you said you you were driving a CTSV and you got to autocrossing that. CTSV is not a slow car. Seth dr- had one for a while as well. Yeah. Why? It, there seemed to be an interest in going fast already. Like if you have that car. Oh, uh, it's, you know, so, so kind of going back further when I was younger. Yeah. You know, I've, I guess there's a competition type thing that's built into us racers. Maybe <laughs> uh, I raced BMX when i was a kid okay i raced cars when i was a kid um some of that stuff got put on hold when i was you know when i so, so i started my own company in 2001 no no hold on 2005 okay <laughs> so you know some of my i rode four-wheelers all the way you know till i was in my 20s or whatever like, like on trails and stuff but um you know i always liked cars i, I had some it had like a some cool cars that aren't cool at this time when I was, you know, in high school or whatever. And I went to work when I was like 16, just simply so I could drive. Cause I was always loved cars. And, um, so, so I think like, you know, starting my business up and all that jazz and, and kind of, you know, put my life on pause a little bit for that type of thing. And then once it came back to where I could afford it, I guess that's where it kind of, you know, took off a little heavier. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I, I remember you and I talked about um, at at one time, like kind of financing the whole car venture. And there's so many ways of doing it. Like you can either 
you know, just kind of hold down your own job and, you know, just pay for it out of pocket as you can. Um, you can try to go the whole sponsorship route, which is a huge job in and of itself. Um, you can make racing your job, um, and try to make that work. And I remember that you did make the move. Uh, you said in 2005 is when you started your business. Can you, I'd like to hear the, the story of what you were doing before and why you decided to start your own thing. All right. So, um, you know, it was kind of, I feel like half the things you do in your life are just, you know, there's a, there's a, you make a choice and you go that direction and, and it kind of ends up, <laughs> you know, somewhere, but, but anyway, so me and my wife, um, we, we bought a, a little house. We weren't, we didn't get married. Actually, we were together for a while before we got married. But anyway, um, we bought a house. I was working. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I applied for college two different times and I didn't go either time. And I, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I had, you know, I, I worked, I mean, I worked since I was 16. I worked at a dog track as a lead out, like taking, you know, greyhounds, walking them out and then running back. You know, this, that was a, I, really? I did that for a couple of years. Is that a West, then I, is that a West Virginia thing? Uh, I mean, any greyhound track. Yeah. Wow. Like, like we have one here close and I, that was my first real job. Um, so like you work for the track and then you're just in charge of taking a couple dogs onto and off the track for races. Yeah. So there's, there's eight dogs and there's a guy for each dog and okay. you walk them out, you load them in the, uh, the starting box and then you have to run back to like the, so, so what they have, there's, there's different spots. There's probably, there's two guys that go to like, I don't even remember the names of the spots, but like it'd be turn one, halfway through turn one like you'd have to like if you got the wrong spot you'd have to run further around the track right and then uh once that race is over and, and the reason they had curtains so like if a dog would fall or get hurt or something bad would happen you'd pull the curtain out and you'd have to like basically you there'd be two curtains that go out one on each side and that's how you contain the dog and you get it off the track and it breaks the leg or whatever happens uh. now and then like you know obviously they chase electrical rabbit <laughs> right right like there's a motor that runs around a track and 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 it's on an arm and that arm kicks in at the end so the dogs all end up there and everybody gathers that dog and you take them back you know they get pee tested um and then they go back to the kennel owner okay. and then like there was probably so those eight eight guys that that took eight dogs out but those uh all together was probably 24 of us and like the so when you come back in track you go back to the kennel you get your dog and then you bring it out and you show it because like the race is going on you, people want to look at the dogs and bet on them and all that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's an interesting job. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I never considered that that was like a job that somebody could have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to get them out there. Right. Yeah. There's the jobs when you think of jobs, but yeah. so that was, I worked there for a while and then I moved up into like a, a like I was, I, I started, I moved up to an area cause it was like a union place. So like seniority mattered. And then I moved up to a job like basically as a, like handing out money to people like, cause they had machines too to gamble. Okay. And I worked that for a while. And then I took a job over the maintenance of the track, like actually maintaining the track surface. Mm. Um, and so, I did that. You are know, we talking I, like dirt, AstroTurf, yeah, grass? Yep. Yeah, and clay. Gotcha. Uh, forget the mixture. Exactly. It's probably 20% clay and 80% sand or something like that. And it obviously the clay, the clay would sink to the bottom. So we, we ran, we drove tractors, 
we had equipment to like basically till the track and then you roll it back down and water it and you like it get raked with a machine like yes yeah, so i did i did that for a while too and like the guy that was there forever retired i ended up being over that for a couple of years <laughs> and uh, i was like you know 20 20 years old you know yeah but anyway uh I actually got fired from that job. <laughs> and uh what did you do? Well, it's nothing specific. Um I think you know, when dogs would get hurt on the track, they would always blame like the track or the maintenance, like the owners would. You know, sometimes dogs would just break legs and stuff like that. But anyway, I had a vacation scheduled and I they they were like redoing the track. Hang on. Henry, stop it. They were redoing the track. And, uh, um, I went, like, they told me I, I, I shouldn't go on vacation. I went and went. And that's, that's why, you know, I think I got fired. But and then from there, again, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I applied for college again and did not go. And I worked at a car lot for a little while, just like as a lot boy, like washing cars or whatever. And again, I was like 21. And, uh, after that, I, uh, my 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 mom's long-term like live-in boyfriend is kind of my stepdad not really um he had some family that was like kind of in the painters union is like over it mm. and I, I got a job i got in as an apprentice doing that and that and again I, I don't even know if i knew what i wanted to do then but it was like a you know pretty good job or paying job whatever sure. and um i used to like build computers for people back then and on the side and stuff like that and anyway, I went through the apprenticeship program, which was five years, and Holy I was crap. working at a powerhouse. Wait, 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 hold on. So, in the painters' union, you have to be an apprentice for five years. Oh yeah, any union apprenticeship is pretty much four or five year program. Jesus, like, and that's yeah. just the them saying Sorry, like you just pay. yeah you you don't get paid much. You do the the grunt work yeah. for yeah. five years. Yeah. Oh, that's like torture. Fighting scale. So like every year you'd go up 10%, right? Okay. In pay. It, it was, it was hours and years and you had to go to classes. Wow. <laughs> uh, back when I did it, we had to go like, I think it was two evenings a week. I had to go sit in class for like three or four hours. And you learn like, it, wow. it sounds kind of redundant, but like you learn a lot about like, like the, the EPA laws or OSHA laws and, Okay. Uh, lead abatement, um, stuff like that. And then, and then we also had, they would like donate projects to like places. So we might go work on like a homeless shelter, like doing their drywall finish or paint or stuff like that. And, gotcha. and yeah. And then on, all the same time while you worked and, but towards the end of my apprenticeship, I turned out, I was actually in, uh, I kind of worked some commercial and industrial both, but I was working at a, um, a, a power plant, a big, like they were doing a big sulfur scrubber. I was there for a year and a half. And that job, we were working like 60, 70 hours a week. And while I worked there, we bought a really cheap house I, um, and, and I remodeled it. So like I'd work, you know, obviously 10 hours a day and every evening for like, I don't know, eight months, I, I remodeled this house and every weekend and I put every penny into it. And uh, so once that I got that done, that job was over. And usually like in the union, like a job like that ended in February so a lot of times in February, there's not a whole lot of work. So like you, you might just be waiting on the union hall to call you to send you somewhere else. Right. Okay. And that time period, I just got a wild hair. I told my wife, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to try to go into business and I don't really know why or how or 
I, I just kind of got tired of sitting at home for about a week or two. And I just, you know, I, I, I started researching like everything I could. I had a friend that is an older guy that, that, uh, that, there was an estimator that helped me a lot. Um, just when I had questions and stuff. So yeah, it was just, a. I just kind of took a wild leap and, and that's, that's, that's where I'm at now, but that's, that's, that's almost what, 20, 15, 18 years ago. Yeah. And, um, never really, you know, in the whole time period there, like we bought another, like the house I'm in now is a big monstrosity, but like it's, we, we would buy houses that need remodeled and, and kind of remodel them, live in them for a while and sell them. I still own that first house. Actually, I rent it, Okay, but I, you know, over the years I've bought rental property. I think altogether, I have some by myself from with my wife. I've got some with my business partner. We have another business that we own that, that we are. So altogether I have about 38 rental properties. Um, and, and then like our paint and drywall company, you know, it, we just, I have a, so I started by myself and about a year and a half in, there was a guy that I knew the union hall. He's older than me that, um, just knew a lot more too. And, and, you know, he, he came to work for me and we got to talking and we, we actually like, I, he kind of came in as a business partner and still is. And, uh, we just kind of hustled and worked hard and, you know, we've got at like, I don't know, we've, we had 40 men on payroll here most of the last year. Um, we have another business that we got involved in that builds homes um, down at the Greenbrier hotel area. And, and we've got like another 15 guys down there that work year round, all carpenters. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, we have a window distribution company that we picked up along the line. So yeah, just, you know, over the years, just kind of things fall in your lap or, yeah. you know what I mean? Or not fall in your lap. I mean, you know, opportunity comes up and you make a decision whether to, to, to pounce on it or not. And that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Dang. So I feel like I've done a lot in 43 years, kind of, but yeah, I, well, maybe that's why you smoke so much and drink so much monster. Just, uh, yeah, stop from like at- falling asleep for like five years to catch up or something. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I hustled pretty hard. Like when I was, uh, not hustled. Like that's a bad term. I just, sure. I, I'm kind of the, you worked your of, ass off. Yeah, I did. And, 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 I, I'm kind of like a people pleaser in a sense. So I don't like to let people down and that even business wise, like, like if we say we're going to do something, we do it. Like, you know, it's just, that's my mentality on everything. Like if you, if you ask me to do something, I'm going to respond. If I don't want to do it, I'll tell you. But if I say I'm going to do it, I'll do it. Like there's no, there's no letting things hang hardly with me. Like I just can't sleep at night. You know, I, I want to get things done. I try to clear emails out every, you know, once a week actually, but you know, I just cannot let things ride because I think that's bad business. And I hate when people do that. <laughs> sure. Well, the, the way you were talking about business, I mean, it, it makes sense to me then where kind of where the, all that practice came from when you were swapping engines and your NC, like to, to be honest, like I remember on multiple occasions you would break at the track on like Saturday, you'd be home like that night and you'd have the engine out of the car before you went to bed. Yeah. I think I'm a very impatient person (laughs) and I just, you know, I just want to get things done or, um, or figure out, you know, I just want to jump on them right now. I don't let things, 
like kind of like the business thing. I don't think things linger. Um, if it's broke, I, I, I want to get it fixed. And, and I don't like working on cars that much. I, I like racing cars. And I don't, I don't think many racers genuinely like working on cars. I don't, I think yeah. they're a pretty rare breed. Yeah. I don't really despise it. It's just like, I, I know it needs done. Right. So I can go race right. and, and I want it to be, you know, uh, I want to be right. Like, like I think growing up in West Virginia, I kind of grew up with, without a dad for the most part. So like, even when I raced BMXs and built RC cars and, and four wheelers, like I always worked on that stuff myself always. True. And that's probably where that comes. Like, I've never been like, Oh, I just can't do this. I just figure out how to do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of how I still am. If I can't, you know, if I don't know how to do something, I mean, I'm not going to like rebuild a transmission. That's one thing I won't mess with. Um, I can't, I could, you know, I could probably, re, I'd rather almost rebuild an engine, but I'd still rather leave that on somebody else's hands. Um, but yeah, so I'm basically a part swapper at the end of the day, <laughs> but <laughs> most of us are, if we're being honest. Yeah. But I like my vet, I don't know if you followed that much. Or I really didn't post much, but I built that car in three months, stripped it down bare and painted everything yeah. like chassis wise. Um, I did not weld the cage. You know, I did pull the engine, the trans, the diff. I sent all them. You know, I actually did put the heads and stuff back on the engine. Yep. But, uh, yeah, fa- everything, I did all the control arms. Yeah, it's all got spherical bushings. You know, uh, about every inch of that car has been apart. Yep. Yeah, you. And I did that. Yeah. Yeah, you went right to work on that when you got it. I worked on that car every evening and every weekend. I missed one evening because I didn't feel good for three months. Like, I didn't miss any time. And it, I think I had four or 500 man hours in it is what I kind of figured. Yeah. And you had it, but yeah. And you had it pretty much done like long before you could even go to an event. Didn't you? Uh, no, I, about two weeks before mid Ohio, I got it done. Oh, that's right. It was kind of towards the beginning. That, okay. Yeah. That was my goal. And, and, uh, yes, that was also during kind of COVID a little bit. So yeah. getting some parts was delayed. So like any, Anything that was delayed, it just kind of worked out. You know, I just work on something else, and everything kind of ended up working out pretty well. I had a couple issues. We, I went to a test weekend the weekend before Mid-Ohio and, and literally got to run two laps three times because <laughs> we had, like, I had some, uh, like, I had some oiling, like, too much oil, and then I had, like, a catch can backwards. I had a couple things. I had a, a front oil main that I bought a cheap one instead of a GM because they were out of stock, and I had to replace it, so... So yeah, but 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 ninety five percent of the car was done. I mean, I've kind of done some things since then, but nothing, nothing. Well, I've, I've replaced the suspension since then, and and I've, right. I've switched the tire sizes that I'm using, and I, and the gear. My diff. We went to Barber here not too long ago. My diff blew up, and it was a rebuilt diff. I saw that. And so I, I I've already it's already swapped, obviously. Of course. <laughs> I took it out pretty quick and then, uh, and sent it off and put a new one back in it. But yeah, I, I'll be honest. I don't think my reaction to that was unique in that. I saw a black coupe on track that Luke was driving all of a sudden a big puff of white smoke trailing from behind it. And I'm like, Luke blew up another engine. <laughs> it's just, it, it just seemed like, this guy cannot get a break, but it wasn't the engine. Yeah, it's actually the easiest thing on the car to replace in the drive line because um, the diff literally comes right out the back. I mean, it took yeah. me an hour to get it out. So um, 
I didn't know what like that. And it, you know, the bad thing is a lot of this stuff. It's not like I'm over revving and all this stuff. Right. It's some. You know, I, I've always had. I've broke my Vipers. I've broke every car I've took the track. And I think it's just one of them things. Like if you're driving a car at a very high, whatever you want to call, tenths of tenths or nine tenths or whatever, like you're going to break stuff. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I think there's a big difference between even like running at six tenths versus nine tenths. You know, the wear on items and, and everything's just dramatic. For you sure. Know? For sure. Now, with your lack of patience, let's call it, uh, with getting stuff done, how does that translate for you, like, under green flag race conditions? Like, are you – I know our sprint races are short, so, like, every turn, every corner kind of matters – but how are you able to kind of knowing that about yourself? How do how does that play out? Who oh, I don't think about uh you know when I when I get in the car, I don't feel like I don't feel like I think about that much when I'm even when we're out there like um on the outlaps, mm-hmm. I don't really think about much at all. because I, I, I I feel like, like after racing a while, um, you just don't know what's going to happen, right? You got to be prepared. I don't think you want to like, you know, you don't want to be too aggressive, but you don't want to let people, you know, take advantage of you either. And so I just, you know, you just kind of, I just kind of go with the flow at that point. It's like, I don't try to port force issues that like, or force positions too much to go, you know, on the first corner, like a lot of people will. I, funny enough, I might be more patient on track, to be honest. I, I've sat behind people. I, I, maybe this is my age on this particular thing, but like, like I don't like, I'm very comfortable setting beside, behind somebody. And me and Aaron Lichty's done this quite a bit. We've been in the same five, six position a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, if he don't make a mistake, I'm just accept that I'm going to finish behind him. Uh, I don't like, I might try to force something there on the last lap. If it's there, like I'm, I don't, I try not to be an a-hole. True. Um, and, and, and I'm well aware that like these cars are pretty close. And if I, like if, if I'm on him and, and he's not going to make any error. Now, if he makes a small error, you try to capitalize on it. If he don't, I just accept I'm going to finish right behind him. You know, it is what it is. And I've heard you talk, talk about this. And I, I find it to be honest, especially with as fast as you and Aaron uh, drive, um, Aaron's point of view on this, we had him on uh, a few episodes ago now, but to hear you guys talk that kind of knowingly that like, you probably not like, you're not out there to like really win Correct. that you're, <laughs> that you're out there to drive the best you can have a good time. And that's about it. And on any given weekend, like I, I think I've heard you say, like you're a fourth to eighth place driver. Yeah. And I, to be honest, like I, f- I kind of feel the same way, only a little farther back. And, sure. but I find that kind of refreshing from people who are faster than me as well. That's like, we're not all like out here trying super hard. And Correct. how, has it always been like that for you or is that something that you've had to like arrive at? Um, 
I mean, I like I said, I think there's different levels of competitiveness. And and, and I see it with other people. And I think <laughs> I think I see a smile. Yeah. I yeah. think to uh I think if you want to win, I mean here's the thing. I think it's just like a it's just how people are wired. Like I'm friendly competitive. Like I'll talk shit and I like talking shit. Yes. But I'll also like, you know, if somebody beats me, I'll I'll just you know, I won't talk shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But but my talking shit's with friends and that like Eric or whoever, you know, we just have like a fun, you know, whatever banner. And but I'm not um how do I put this? I think I think on the right day with the right car set up and all that stuff. I mean, do I think I can win races? Yes, probably here and there. I'm not, I'm not dumb to the fact that we have a lot of great drivers, like all the way back to wherever. I mean, like the guys in the very, very front front are like, God, like it, it's on a whole different level. But like, I think there's a, there's, there's like a little bit of a misconception between driver and car. I think to be in the very front, like, like the top three or four, you probably have to have the, you have to have both things a hundred percent sorted. You got to be on your game driving and your car has to be uh, as top as it can on the, on the readiness level of whatever you can do. Sure. And I know sure. like the effort that I put into my car is pretty high. Like you're just getting it ready, but I'm not hell bent on like changing things every weekend or like making like, even when I'm at the racetrack, if you come, like, I'm bullshitting half the time. Yep. I drive around, try to talk to people. I'm not out there trying to figure out, you know, if I'm fucking 10 pounds overweight or I don't care. Yeah, you've you've said <laughs> you don't like working on the car at the track. No, I hate it. So, so like, um, I don't really do much to try to make it better while I'm there. I, I usually reserve that for when I'm comforting my home. <laughs> and, uh, but I just don't, I, I know the effort that, like, other guys, like, you know, ASCM, I mean, they're a whole team. They're putting in a lot of effort. Like, they deserve probably to be where they're at. I know Kutil puts in so much effort. You know, Swenson does too. Like, the guys that I'm naming are the guys in the front, you know. And, I, and I'm not saying – but, I, you know, I don't have that drive to, like, to care that much. I mean, I want to do well. Like, yep. but it doesn't change my mood if I win or not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter to me that much, I, I, and maybe it's an age thing a little bit. I don't know that I've ever been like that that much though. It's you know, um, I don't think I'm going to be a pro racer. I don't. I'm not looking for sponsorship. I'm not. You know what I mean? I'm just. I'm just out here having fun. Right. And and, and being competitive. You know, it's like a competitive game of horseshoes or something. Right. <laughs> you just you're still going to try to do good and talk shit, but I'm not out yeah. practicing every day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Seth, Seth and I have had the conversation where you know, say you win a GLTC race or even a weekend, and you go to work on Monday and you tell everybody nobody gives a shit. No, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> That's my theory on a lot of things. Also, I think. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit about nothing and nobody's going to give a shit in like 300 years. Right. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and, and, right. uh, or even a hundred years, like, the, like, like nobody's going to give a shit about what we're talking about right now. And, and, uh, and I, I kind of, I think my racing is like, I can think back of, I don't know how many races I've done in GLTC. It's got to be what? 30. I don't know. Those weekends even, I don't know. talking about races. Yeah, because um, you started you started the second season, right? Yes. Yeah, it's got to be up there. Yeah, I mean, matter of fact, first time I remember really meeting you or talking to you was at PRI. 
we were eating lunch. I forget the restaurant. Yeah, and you I and I, I and you and I were talking we said, no no arrow street tire, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I wasn't even at the time I didn't know if I was gonna build a car yet or not. Yep. I, <laughs> I was about thinking that, yeah. about it. I, I was already kind of known I was done racing or running my Viper, but um but yeah, that that's I don't know what I was getting off on there, but um oh it, oh my point was like I don't remember I don't remember that many specific, like the few times I've won, I remember one of them, but, um, it was actually stressful, <laughs> like being, being in the front the whole time and like, knowing you got a whole, like, I was like, man, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, the most fun I've had is like racing. I remember racing you at NOLA when I was on rain tires. Dude, we, and like, so, okay, let's, we need to rehash this out because you and I still get shit. I mean, you got more shit because you were on H2Os, but yeah. like you and I were padded closer together and from where I was sitting, like it was going to rain. Like everybody, oh, no, everybody, everybody talks about that races and like, oh, there was like a 10% chance of rain, but no, like it, the rain was there. Seth was there. He knows. Like, no, it was like, going it was to definitely going to rain. I've been in that part. I mean, I live in East Texas. Like, you know when it's going to rain. It was definitely going to rain. rain. Well, I, we were on we were on the back side. Were you? Were you? We were on the back side of the paddock. Yes. Yeah. It was, and it quit raining. And I don't think it ever rained at all on the track. No. Nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nick Sator, Sator, however you say his last name, he he was there, and, and he actually was offering. We were about to get in the car, and he was like, "You want me to put your race tires on?" And and Eric Meadows was sitting there, and and Eric's like, "Go ahead and put mine on." So Nick, I said, "I said, go ahead and help him." I said, "Screw it, I'll just run these." I didn't think they would be that bad. <laughs> and uh, yep. boy, was I wrong. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, you yeah, were on. Nick you, offered to switch and like quit raining, and it wasn't. It was raining barely where we were at, but I don't think it ever even dropped a drop over like at the track. No, I don't, and I, was, I don't think and so. And I was like, well, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you were on full race width H2Os. Yeah. I yeah. was on my narrow 205 ECSs. Yeah. And I remember having a, I had a little bit of pace on you, but I couldn't get around you. And yeah, just I, especially, I, I, yeah. I forget the turn numbers, but leading on to the front straight, like you and I were both just a little counter steering every yeah. single time. That was so much fun. Yeah, and I, I think uh, you know, like in this rate, like in in the you know some you know cars are closer than others, whatever. But um, I, like if I think if somebody is a second, they could be a second faster, or maybe even two, and depending on where it's at you may not get around them, you know, like, like you could be the faster guy behind and like not be able to get around. That's, that's the way it works. I, I think, you know, Tom is who always amazes me about how well he can get around people basically whenever he wants. Yep. It's just that like you're watching past people like, man, he times them perfect. Like that's stuff I can't do. Um, but yeah, I've been stuck behind people many a times that I know I'm faster than, but I can't get around them. And it might be, you know, we talk about that two seconds, You've seen my phone thing where I've messed with people and like try to stop it on a tenth or, or try to stop it as fast as you can. Right. Like, like usually you can do it and it's maybe 0 0.08 is pretty quick or you can do a 0 0.07, but yeah. most times it's going to be like a tenth. And that's a tenth, which is nothing. It's like a bam, bam on your phone is a tenth. Yeah. And, you know, so if you take, 
you might be faster than somebody in a second, right? But it might be a tenth of corner. Right. You ain't passing. You ain't. You know, that's not enough room to get around somebody. Yep. Or, that's why it's fun. You know, the 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 things like a lot of the races it kind of sucks. I've kind of been in this area, depending on who shows up or not. That um, I feel like like the the front three, four, five guys. I can't quite get. I can see them, but I can't you know race with them. But then there's a lot of times there's a gap and, I, and there's nobody behind me. You know, that always sucks. I'm sure you've been there. Yep. Like you're in this zone. They're like, well, nobody, I can't catch guys in front of me and the guys behind me can't catch me. And you're kind of out there just turn laps, but, but you're also not going to slow down and wait on the guys, you know, no. as much as you like racing. No, absolutely not. Cause <laughs> no, that's never going to happen. No, but um, yeah, I mean, if we're talking a second or even two, like <laughs> call it 15 corners, which isn't a whole lot depending on track, like second and a half, say it's a 10th every corner. That's a second and a half. Yeah. Um, or even like if you're pretty even for most of the corners, but then there's this one twisty section that you're a lot faster than, but yeah. if it's not a good passing opportunity, like you're just going to be looking at their bumper. Like it's really passing is hard. It really no. is. And, and I think, I think probably, you know, I don't know how guys feel like, like I've been doing this long enough to like, uh, I know I can drive well and everything. Like I, I would never say I'm the fastest guy out there, but, I, but I think I hold my own, uh, you know, in a certain range there. Um, but, but even like if you're a second or two slower, like in the field, it's not like, you know, it's funny. Cause I'm, I used to instruct and stuff all the time and I'm pretty good at data. But like some guys are hard, like I don't know if they're hard or self oriented or not. But the reality is, it could be. It's probably very little that you're off. It's not like you're going through a turn ten miles an hour slower. Right. You know, you're just marginally off. But it adds up to being a lot of time because those tents add up. And, and it could be one area that you're just going through slower, and somebody's putting a second on you. I've seen that. You know, it happens. Yep. And 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 that's where. It sometimes may not be driver. It could be your car needs to be better. And I think that's where I kind of go back to like, it has to be car and driver to be at the top of GLTC. Like you have to be on point with both like a hundred percent. You got to know the track. Well, you, like there's a lot of things that go into play. So, uh, you know, I, I hope nobody's like ever distracted by being in 30th all the time. Or, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if they are or not, but like, it's not as bad as they think probably. No. Well, I think you should go endurance racing, Luke. I hate endurance racing. <laughs> no, the the only reason I say that is because I think there's a lot of value into getting stuck behind that guy who you're a second a lap faster than. Yeah. And going, all right, if even if this takes me half an hour, I'm going yeah. to figure out how to do this. And so it's sort of a, a low pressure way to spend a ton of time working out those things that you can never work out in a sprint race. Um, so I think there's value in it. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, I have done like chump car. Um, I just, I'm not a big fan, and this might be my impatience. I don't, I have this feeling every time I've done it is like, it. if if somebody wrecks or breaks the car, I don't even get to drive this weekend, you know? And that's, I know it's true to my, my, my car also, but like, I don't know. It's just one of them weird things that I, I'm, I don't like, I don't enjoy it that much. I don't like watching uh other people driving wondering if they're going to crash the car and i'm going to like it just happened to tom you know daytona but like it's kind of like depressing i think if you show up for a weekend and you're there and you and you and something happens and you just don't get to drive i, I just I don't, I don't know i don't like that much yeah i 
I have similar feelings. I really would like to do endurance racing, but the whole show yeah, up and, and it, hope it goes yeah. well. The other side of that, like I've, you know, I've rented a couple cheaper, mostly Miatas when I've done it. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen an endurance racing contract that you sign. I have not. (laughs) That usually will deter you from wanting to go endurance racing sometimes. Um, You know, the cost of the ride off of a car is, is always there. And, and, you know, it's a risk, it's a risk reward thing for me. And sometimes when you look at like, you know, you take, any any race car, I don't care. You can build the cheapest. Uh, Miata is probably the cheapest, but you can. It's still a sum apart. It's still a roll cage, a seat, fires. You know, yeah. and and no matter what, like you end up with what thirty grand in one of these things. Twenty, you know, no, like like minimum. I don't know. Yeah, Seth, but Seth and I were doing some quick head math a few weeks ago, like buying a shell in today's economy, putting a proper cage in it. And then just like your basic safety stuff, like seat, yeah. uh, fire suppression, you know, say your helmet and stuff carries over, but like that's, I mean, you can't do that for 10 grand, like not even close right now. So if you, I can send you a spreadsheet of my, uh, my Corvette. I keep track of every, everything. Why? And my, yeah, Cause I like to know, I mean, it's just part of like, you know, business or whatever. Business, yeah. It's not, and if I ever sell a car, I know what I, I remember what I've done to it. Um, okay. But I don't. I think people are really bad about adding up the little items. And I, I will send it to you because you will crap your pants. Because the big items ain't a problem. It's yep. everything else, and then nobody ever thinks about it. It's the number. If I were to add up my McMaster car receipts, yes, for hardware. I'm. I mean, yep. again, like I just installed a fire suppression system in my car way too late but it's in there now and like the cost of the system was one thing but then you've got to buy the brackets then you've got to buy the rubber isolator feet and the hardware and like all this stuff and that's easily 50 bucks but you do that for 20 30 different projects and all of a sudden you've got like several grand in just hardware yeah that's not even cleaning supplies it's like it's dumb no, I know. I mean, like I said, I've always tracked it, not because really for no other reason. I like, I really just, you know, I, I know it's expensive, but I also like to know, I think people are fooled sometimes when they just add up the big things. Like, yeah. and, and it's all the little, it, you're in construction. It's the same thing. You know, every time that you, the, that a project gets built, they you generally end up over budget. And uh, it's because nobody like, you know, you buy, nobody's figured on box of screws sometimes. Right. Or, a, mi- a million yep. times which <laughs> and, and which a box of screws like five pounds of screws is going to put you especially if you get like some nice like a grk it's 30 bucks yeah well then and then like even faucets i mean you can spend anywhere you anything you want on door <laughs> handle and and people's like oh another five dollars here 20 it just multiplies and multiplies and and, and it, I, I see it in our business all the time i mean we we have to hard dollar stuff right most of the time and like you know but but most normal people that want to build a house or something have no idea what like usually it should really cost. Yeah. And I think race cars are the same way. I think, I think your only money savings is the cost of the initial chassis. That's it. True. I like, you know, um, depending on if you're on an engine swap or whatever, but like my vet literally could cost no more than build the NC because I mean, I paid 15 grand 
for my vet, my NC was seven. So maybe there's a seven thousand, but it, the the cage costs the same. The you know the suspension right. costs the same. The fire stuff costs the same. The electronics, everything else costs the same. Yep. And it just depends on what level you want to take it to. But but and, but and uh, maintenance yeah, that's, and uh, maintenance and uh, like running costs, tires, brakes, oil. So that like goes that. back to my. Yeah, that's a long way to get here, but <laughs> that goes back to my. When you get a contract to drive somebody's car and that's, you have to sign, that's there's always a yep. complete law. And they will always tell you, oh, yeah, it's probably not going to happen, you know. And I, and I, every, a lot of times I look at that, I'm like, I cannot put myself at that type of risk for somebody else's car. If I'm going to do it, I'll just build my own. Yeah. So that's like a long way to answer another reason I don't like endurance racing is I don't want to pay for somebody else's car. And I know that options there, like to, I've been around, it doesn't happen very often, but I've seen cars burn to the ground yep. on the side of the track. And that is what you consider complete loss. Because a wreck, a lot of things are salvageable, yep. right? A, a, a fire is not salvageable generally. Everything's gone. And you might have to write a check to somebody, for, even if it's 20 grand or 10 grand, whatever. It's it's a lot to swallow. Yeah. I... Does that answer your question, Seth? It does. <laughs> I I, so now I need to figure out how you need to figure out how to endurance race without any consequences. I don't know how to do that. Sim, you sim racing. I, I, I think the easy way is like, if you're going to do it, you get yourself and a buddy or like you and Scott and right. you all share the cost of the car. And then you try to get guys to rent the seats out. And then you can probably do it for free, maybe, you know, or, or not free. You're going to spend a lot of time and effort, but you might be able to eventually pay for the cost of the car, but you got to find that sucker. That's going to pay you a couple thousand dollars. Plus maybe, be responsible for the car that that's that's the hard the hard thing and, and, and or if you get four guys involved that live kind of close that's easier but like you know that's just i think there's only so much time also like yeah. when i sit around the winter i like to think to myself like oh i could go do this or that or whatever and then when the season starts yeah. like there's only enough time to race in one series really for me um right. like we're racing at least what once a month or once every three weeks yeah and like or am I going to go endurance race? Like I would go do an HPD or practice weekend sometimes in between. But like in reality, there's like in the wintertime, I always think there's going to be time. And then once the season hits, you're like, well, shit, there's no time. Yeah, to do never anything. time. It's never yeah. enough time. Well, the new grid life enduro thing that uh, Adam's got going on, that's, it's going to be ideal. You guys can just slot right in, he, get some good sea time. He did perfect. that at, at pit race. He uh, he started the he and Matan both started oh, the yeah, enduros right. for yeah. like twenty minutes and then just came in. Yeah, yeah. And then he yeah, uh, and, turned and up the power on his vet and then went out and uh, time attack and uh, terrorized people. Yeah, I was having the uh, the grid workers. We're actually switching my, I have a switch under my hood, you know, to change the tune. And I got the point of just ask, get them to do it for me. So I didn't have to, cause we were like, we go out and we come in and literally go right back out. So I was, I got the point of like having them to open my hood and switch that for me. So I didn't have to get out of the car. Man, really torture tested that thing. Oh yeah. It ran. Yeah. It was pretty good. Um, I finished third overall on, on the time attack, which is kind of funny nice. because it only makes three eighty. Like it's the max horsepower, nice. but, um, the car's just light. It's light. It's, I mean, for a vet, it's light and it's quick. Yeah. But yeah, I was, uh, I was helping, uh, coach, um, one of, one of the drivers who's there, uh, in time attack. And yeah, you were, you were quite quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a good car. I mean, it's, 
I think it's uh it surprises me on full power. Even at 380, it surprises me the lap times because I took it mid Ohio too, uh, and ran at full power like the Porsche Club, mm-hmm. and it's and it's it's like surprisingly quick. I, I'm still surprised or amazed at the times because I know the times a lot of the tracks I go to. It still amazes me the times we put down with 200 and some horsepower. Amazes me. Yep. Like like even the whole, that's what I was saying. Like you look at the whole field back to whatever spot. I mean, it's, it, even if there's a couple seconds spread, those times are still incredibly fast for what we're doing, you know, on street tires even. Yeah, I need, Seth and I have talked about this. I need to get to an HPDE this year. Um, if it's grid life, great. If not, that's fine too. I just, I need to go do one to like step out of the insane yeah. bubble that is GLTC because like I'm, I wouldn't say I'm slow, but like I'm, I'm somewhere in the upper mid pack of GLTC and slowly getting quicker, but so's the front. And yeah, but I remember a couple of years ago when I went to, um, NCM before the season started, uh, I think it was bench Tokyo was doing an event down there. And it was just me and my Miata on like AR1 tires on my GLTC tune. And I was faster than everybody except for a GT3 RS. Yeah. And uh, I think a ZR1 Camaro Corvette that day. And it kind of yeah, blew, I, it kind of blew my a- mind. It's like, guys, like I've only got 200 horsepower, but like, when you just swim and drink GLTC, it can yeah. lead you to think that you're shit. <laughs> no, I mean you're right. I, 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 uh, I mean, like, like, it, it, I've done. Oh my! So, like, most of my driving career is HPDE, and um, I have a record Excel spreadsheet of every every one I've ever been to and the dates. And if if I had a student, their name and the car they were in. Look at you. Uh, I think I've done over 300 days on a track. That's, that's, that's everything up to date, like over 300. So, I mean, we used to go like 15, 18 weekends a year and, you know, and whether I was in a Miata or M3 or my, I just take random different cars sometimes. And that, that alone, you know, that's what made me probably faster and aware and when you're driving a 600 some horsepower Viper and, and you're, and you're driving it well, yep. like you're going to learn, like you learn to pass people in a bunch of different scenarios. Um, and, and like even open lapping, you know, with point buys and, and that's, uh, but that's, you know, that's where I, and, and I, I would go run NASA every once in a while and do a time attack event or yep. whatever. But, and I, and I was always pretty quick, not always, but like there was a point that I got pretty quick. I remember when I was slow. It's <laughs> not been that long ago. <laughs> um, but but I think like it's very, very hard in a race weekend setting to learn much, uh, maybe some race craft or what not to do sometimes on a pass. Yes. Um, but like it's really hard to get faster. Um, you, you basically get your practice, your qualifier, and then you're, you're off to the races. And, and a lot of guys will pick up speed while they're racing, but like, there's so much more going on. The stress is so much higher Yeah. when you're wheel to wheel somebody. Like, I don't think you can work on much. You can't work on your driving that much, you know? And, and I think when you go to new tracks, like I even say it for me, like now, 
Like when I go to a brand new track I've never been on, I mean, I'll easily be a second or, or more off pace just by coming back the next time, yep. you know? And, and I don't know why that is, but, but it's just the way it is. And, and, and I, but now if you go to a practice day before the weekend, that helps tremendous. And, but I think, yeah, I think the only time you can work on your driving is really like with HPDE or a practice day or something. Cause I, I think it's very, very hard in the confines of racing to like really work on your, your, your lap times in my opinion. And really starts to borderline on unsafe, if not just outright unsafe. Like if you're trying new things going door to door with somebody, like if it doesn't go well, you're involving somebody else versus an HPDE uh, where there are more clear rules about passing and things like this, where it's a lot more heads up, hopefully. Yeah, I, I think there's a. Uh, I think sometimes, it, you know, and I, I I used to like back when I was coming up. Anytime there was like a pro, like like for you know, I mean, I used to have instructors all the time when I first started, mm-hmm. and and some of them were better than others, but you know, you always learn something off everybody, and but 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 then you get kind of thrown to the wolves by yourself, right? And I used to read like the Ross Bentley stuff and I'd come back and sometimes it doesn't make sense. And you got to come back and read it again. Yep. Like a year later, you're like, Oh, that makes sense. But anytime I could like get a pro coach that was at a, at a weekend, I would pay for a session for a pro coach, like always. And cause I just kept trying to improve, like, how do you go faster? And I think the biggest misconception on how to go faster is people think they need to drive harder. And I think that's true when you very first start, right? Like you're sure. probably, you're probably not driving hard enough. Like hard's a bad term, but you know what I'm saying? Sure. You're not pressing hard enough and you probably shouldn't be as a beginner. Let's not confuse that. Nope. But like to, to gain speed, you actually have to force yourself to go faster. Yep. But there's a point in time somewhere that technique come, overtakes that. And when I'm helping people like, you know, and I'll help. Like if anybody brings their data to me, if you would, I would say I would help you out with it. But but I think the misconception is is I need to pick up speed everywhere, and it may be you only need to pick up speed in three corners. Yes, and you're doing everything else perfect, and we're just as good as everybody else. Yeah, or at least and, like these are your low hanging fruit. Correct. Grab that first, but do everything else the same, and just work on one corner. Work on the worst one. And it's generally the one before the fastest straight, right? But, 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 but work on that one corner that you're losing the most time, and then, but do everything else the same. Don't try to improve everywhere because you may not need to improve everywhere. Yep. <laughs> and I think you know when we're talking about tenths or two tenths or three tenths in a corner, and they add up to three seconds or whatever. I think that technique of like you know men's speeds never mattered to me that much because you can get like if your men's speed sixty and mine's sixty. That doesn't mean anything because because I always look at like the drop down and out. You know, like my, I don't want my men's speed to be there very long. I want to come down to it and back up out of it. Where you could also where a lot of pretty novice beginner drivers they get down to that men's speed and they hold it all the way through the corner. Sure, like they're too slow in, too slow out, and so that's the things that you can work on. I think to pick up time, but it's generally a technique thing, not driving harder and right. driving harder in a mess. You know, yeah, and. And the other thing about the whole men's speed is like, it's only like, it's a tiny part of the equation because it depends on where in the corner, what kind of corner, what's coming up 
after it? What were you just coming yeah. off of? Is like, what's the, how's the car rotated when you Correct. hit that? Like it's, it, it's an, it's an quarter, in- like 20 times too fast. The problem is you're not gonna make the exit. So your men's <laughs> speed was high, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter right. if you have to coast to the rest of it, you know? Right. Totally right. And, and I think that's a misconception that you see sometimes of like people over aggressively driving is because they think that's going to go faster. And it's really not the case. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't feel like I'm driving that hard, you know, when I'm, uh, when I'm out there racing. Yeah. My, my fastest laps are like when I've been like super aware and just very calm in the car it, in the zone, yeah, right? Like you're just subconscious, just flowing. And I tell my students all the time, trying harder has never made anyone go faster. Yeah. And I don't know how you, um, I've used to think about this a lot. I always, I always like, I like instructing. I was always a pretty good, I think instructor. Um, but I would always like back people down and like work on, it's like anything it's basics, basics, basics. And, 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 and you, you, you know, it's, you know, like, I don't know. It's just getting somebody where you want them and then like, and then like improving from there. But, um, but, but I think a lot of people were probably too aggressive with, with in, in the wrong, at the wrong time sometimes or the wrong spots, you know, yes. um, they, they like breaking is probably one of the hardest things to do correctly. And, and that's just something you got to work on. But, um, I've even made guys like, you know, cause you get in the, even an HPD, like, like these guys get in these zones of like wanting to go fast. You know, everybody wants to like set a lap time, right. even with their you know phone or whatever they're doing. And, and and sometimes I've made people just like, hey, let's back off the brake zone, or let's make sure nobody's behind us. But just I want you to go full brakes at like three or whatever four hundred. Yeah. And don't worry about turn in. Just like we will come to a stop. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you've got to judge that. And the only way to work on it is to 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 work on it. Like you right. can't just guess at it. And not and, under green flag race conditions. <laughs> correct. No. And that yeah. So that's that. Yeah. That's that's the that's the problem I think with racing is really you just can't, it's very, very hard to pick up speed throughout a race weekend. Yeah. So well, I think HPD or whatever you're doing is worth doing sometimes, you know, still yet. Yeah. My, my prediction of with grid life is that the car development is going to get to the point, And I think last year to this year is going to be the year of shocks. Uh, everybody's kind of talking about them and a lot of people are moving to, newer fancier stuff but i think it's going to get to the point where the gains to money spent is so extreme and we're we're certainly knocking on that door right now but that i think that the our paddock is going to get so professional and um intense enough that i think coaching very soon if people are smart is going to be the next big thing um, that you can really do for your driving. And that's, I, I think, like you said, that's always been the case, but outside of the beginner program and maybe a select few, like Tom's really made a great name for himself, um, doing some of that, um, like it helps. And sometimes, um, you need coaching more than you need an extra 150 horsepower, and right. you will go faster. Like, again, like um, one of the guys I've been coaching 
has done his has set records and done better than himself with 150 less horsepower just yeah. because he's working on driving and not just holding on for dear life. And that's probably going back to the Miata, right? Like if you could learn to drive a Miata well, you know, I always used to get asked the question, like, how do you go from a Viper to Miata? And and you do drive them different, actually. Like, not marginally, like, massively different, but you sure. do drive them slightly different because mainly the weight. And you need to get on power with a Viper. Like, you got to use that horsepower. Where a Miata, you, like, you can get on power early or sometimes pre-Apex even, and it's not going to upset the car. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you're at 140 horsepower, Miata. But, um you know, but a bit, but a Miata teaches people corner speed and horsepower ne- doesn't, you see a lot of guys at HPD for years and, the, and they're a high horsepower car. And they never get that. They never get fast for the car they're in. They may be turning fast lap times. Right. But the problem, like that's cause their car's got 600 horsepower, or 500 horsepower or like uh, the, all the tire under it or something like that. Correct. And, and I think like driving a lighter, low horsepower car teaches you so much in that regard. And, uh, that, I, I, like, I think it helped me even like just going, you know, just driving both and, yeah. and figuring out what works for each one. But, but yeah, Miata is always the answer, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, a, it's the easiest one to, to yeah. learn to go fast in a comfortable level without trying to kill yourself. Yeah. Sun and Sunday cup cars, even like more. So, I mean, they've got no power at all. So yeah. it's like, if you mess up, even a little bit like you know instantly because you have no power to help get you out of the situation. What, what I used to do, I, I used to like, I have drove a Sunday cup car. It's been a while. I drove Chris Smith's a few years ago or okay. Stewart's. I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, the, uh, I remember on my, like, even on my, my, N, my NB Miata that I had, yeah. I, I just remember like going through a corner and like my whole thought process the whole time was like, do not scrub, do not, do not screw up a corner. Like break smooth, do it like the, the thought process. You got so much time to think about it, <laughs> but like you knew if you had any error, the, the 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 like you're just murdered on time. Like it'll carry with you, and it's true with fast cars too. It's just the, the penalty's not as heavy. Sure, yep. <laughs> and, and and that you know, and I think it, uh, GLTC cars still pretty quick, but they're still slow enough to where you know you you have. I mean, they're fun cars to race because they're not massively overpowered um but but i but i think when you get that wheel-to-wheel situation man you know how it is like side by side you got a guy on the left of you guy on the right of you, like the the stress level's high yeah. um and you have to have like a hundred percent concentration and that kind of zaps away from your learning because <laughs> i think you have to be able to drive subconsciously for the most part sure like yeah. when you're like so that probably kicks in even when you're racing then your awareness is like, okay, where are these guys at beside of me? Or like, what's going on with the flags or what's going on here? Yeah, and how, your driving is just second nature at that point. Yeah. How, what do I need to adapt to what I already know how to do? Given I've got a car here, a car here, and we're coming up on these set of corners or straight away. Like so it's all in really- how do you adapt to what you already innately know rather than trying to figure out what you need to do. Yeah, so I think like that's where that subconscious driving comes in that that you're doing, and and because of everything else going on, you can't work on improving very well. It's very hard to do. Um, that's my opinion. I could be completely wrong, but I just that's my feeling about it. Yeah, it's no big deal. But I think a lot of people also want to be. I mean, if you look at the GLTC field, like the age, the average age is probably 
mid to late thirties. Uh, at least, yeah, we're which it's because and a lot of the guys have been doing it for some time, right? Mm-hmm. It's like they came in last year, and and I think that kind of shows up too. Like if you look at experience, like who's where, that's part of it. Um, but the the bad thing is, for the younger guys coming up, like everybody wants to be fast and wants to be at the top right away. And, and then, and then they figure out that that's not going to happen. <laughs> it can be disconcerting, but like sometimes you just need to add some practice in and some good practice. Yep. Turn it down a notch. Yep. Um, where are you looking forward to next this year? Uh, I'm just, you know, more than anything, it, my car is still new enough. Um, it's always fun in a new car. That's, that's always a, a, a challenge if you will, or just, I got like, you know, I've, Started out with 275 front tires and 305 rear, run the staggered thing. Yep. I think the car pushed a little too much that way. So I've I've since went with 30 or two, 305 squared. Um, I've changed suspension. God, that's a lot uh, of tire. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but, uh, but but yeah, so like just I, I got to get that stuff sorted out. Like Watkins Glen's my favorite track ever. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to going there. Mm-hmm. Um. Are you going to that one? I will be there for sure. Uh, that is the weekend before the one lap of America. So we can't tow the Miata there and back. Yeah. But I've got some local friends who are theoretically going with a big trailer that I'm going to really try to con them into stuffing the Miata in there and just taking it there so we can fly in and out. Yeah, that that's I just like that track quite a bit. Like I've only been there two weekends, but I think most people you ask that they'll tell you that's probably their favorite track. It's just something about it. Um that's beautiful true. area too. You'll like the area. It's just really nice. Nice. Um but yeah, other than that, like I, I'm not I don't get superly excited about much and <laughs> I, I think just I'm looking forward to the season. Like I'm I'm just trying to have fun. Like sometimes you can get in your, you know, head of like, you know, like you said, like uh, some sometimes it just there's a there's a lot to take in. I think you got to step back and say, "Hey, I'm here to have fun. We're not changing anything in our life that much, other than spending our money." Uh, so it's a hobby at the end of the day for most people. Should be. and I think yeah, it should be. And I think you got to treat it as such and make sure you're having fun. Really good. Well, any uh, <laughs> socials or people that you need to uh, say thank you to? Not really. <laughs> I want to thank me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think my wife for let me uh, race all the time. That's probably a big one. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I, I uh, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I'm in a chat group a lot. I just joke around more than anything in there. Um, the uh, I don't really have. Yeah, I just you know that's one thing great. Like you said, I work hard work sponsorship probably is, and I know that. It, that's one good thing when you can just that kind of pay for what you want for the most part. Yep. And not have, you know, like, like I've, you know, you get some really good help. Like, like I'm in a Corvette chat with Paul and Swenson and all them now. And those guys have been helpful. And Lewis Gelati from G Speed's been super helpful. He's in there with us. Yep. Tons of knowledge Corvettes. Um, but yeah, other than that, like, you know, I just, just try to, try to keep the car going all year is my biggest thing. And hopefully, you know, I know, I know things are going to break. This, the reason I built this car is because of reliability. I thought this were a Cayman maybe the most reliable car you could build and a Cayman 
I think just the cost is a little higher, but yep, that initial cost we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Luke, appreciate you take, taking the time, man. I'm uh, looking forward to getting out there with you again. Uh, first for us will be CMP. You go into that one, I assume? Yeah, I didn't. It's not one I bought, but I'm planning on going. I just I bought four because I thought they'd sell out, <laughs> and, I, and they did. They did. And uh, I'm going to Coda too, so that's that's what I'm getting ready for in like five weeks. But after that, yeah, I'll be at CMP. Awesome. All right, I'll try to look you up at Coda then because I'll be there. Oh. Oh, sweet. Are you driving or are you just hanging out? Or I'm just hanging out. I'll be, I may be helping some people, but it's, that's, that's as local a thing as shows up to me. So I where always, you, I try to stop by there. Where are you located? I'm in Houston. Oh, okay. You're not far at all. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't feel like I got to talk to you too much. I think uh, I just ramble on and on and on. No, that's like, a, nobody wants to hear me talk. We're, <laughs> we're all here to listen to you. He, he yeah, gave me, well, a, I could just talk for hours is the problem. He gave me a heads up. He's like, I don't feel good. If you don't hear me talk much, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's fine. Yeah, come and find me. I'll, uh, I, Coda's a, I, I, it takes about a year for me to forget how bad the drive is. It's <laughs> a long way away. I don't, I don't know how the guys down in Texas do it. Oh, man. Eric Jensen, like, I think he drives more than anybody. It's terrible. Terrible. Well, thank you, Luke. Looking forward to it, man. All right, guys. Thank you. We're uh, we're track walking. Uh, share your favorite episode always helps us. And for the three of us, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. I'm going to delay this one a little bit. I'm still Luke. <laughs> Have a good week. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.